0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning, everyone. As Gail mentioned, uh, today's a a bit of a unique Sunday uh, because we are going to be taking a, a week break from the book of Genesis and just look at where God is calling us as a church. I want to just be uh, forthright from you, or forthright with you uh, from the very beginning this morning. Um, At the end, I I don't want this to be a bait and switch. We are going to talk about a a, a new fund, a new uh, way to um, spur our vision here at Crosswinds Church, Uh, and we're going to be talking about that briefly, but that's not the focus of this morning. Uh, The focus of this morning is really just looking at where God is calling us as a church, and I want to, I want to start with, uh, with two stories uh, that come from the pre-smartphone era uh, for us uh, this morning. One of the nice things about smartphones, especially when you're out traveling, is that you always have, as long as you have an internet connection, uh, you have access to maps and to directions, especially when you're in unfamiliar territory. About 10 years ago, I was driving through uh, southern Utah. I'd left Denver earlier that day had made my way through the Rocky Mountains, and I was somewhere on I-70 near the Utah-Colorado border, and I was headed toward Phoenix. Now, as I'm headed west, I knew that I needed to take a left at some point. I just had no idea when or where to take that left in order to get south, and and I, I probably shouldn't beat around the bush anymore. I was just lost. I was lost somewhere in Utah. I had no idea how to get where I was supposed to be going, had no map, uh, very short-sighted of me. Now, I'm, I'm not like your stereotypical man. I have no problem stopping, asking for directions, talking to people, saying, hey, can you help me out here? There's only, a, there's only a slight problem with that. When you're in southern Utah, in the middle of the country, there's not a lot of places to stop and ask for directions. And so I decided to continue going. And along my, my trip, I just decided, you know what, this road looks as good as any to take a left and to start heading south. That's not a great way to, uh, to drive uh, in unfamiliar territory if, uh, if you are familiar with it. Um, now, I, I realized later this is without a doubt the worst decision to, that I could have made for driving toward Phoenix. I, I couldn't have made a, a worse decision unless I turned right and headed north. But, but not knowing where I was going, I decided, you know what, it's getting dark out. I need to start heading south at some point. I need to find a place where I can at least spend the night before I continue my journey the next day. And as I continued, I realized that even though this was the wrong decision, it was the best wrong decision that I've ever made. As I continued on this road, I saw a river appear next to me. I thought, oh, you know, that's pretty neat. That's great. Um, didn't think much of it. And as the as the river uh, continued to to go uh, down this, this path, the, the road uh, continued to follow it, following the curves of the river. And then soon enough, as we continued to descend in elevation, uh, some, some cliffs began to appear on both sides of us. On the left side and on the right side, there were these cliff walls. And I soon realized I was driving in the middle of a canyon. It was so beautiful that several times I had to just stop the car, pull over, get out, and just soak it all in because of how beautiful what I was seeing was. In fact, there were actually times, no exaggeration, I actually had to close my eyes because I was so overwhelmed by the beauty of what I was seeing. When I finally, somehow, found my way to a civilization, I realized that the mistake I had made was a significant one because that river that appeared next to me was actually the Colorado River the canyons that began appearing on my left side and my right side a few hundred miles down the road would have turned into the Grand Canyon. I was seeing the Grand Canyon in its infancy in a place that few people have ever been to, and it was absolutely beautiful. There are times when we don't have maps, when we don't have instructions, directions. It can lead us to some of the most beautiful places on earth. But after living in Chicago, I can tell you that's the exception rather than the rule. Crystal and I lived in Chicago for a couple years and I cannot tell you how many times I got lost while driving in Chicagoland. There were several times where I would go to the south side of Chicago to pick up a friend from Midway Airport and would take a wrong turn late at night and would end up in the wrong neighborhoods in Chicago. More often than not, not having instructions, not having directions, not having a map doesn't lead us to the most beautiful places on earth. It can lead us to a place where we get frustrated or we get lost, or we waste our time and frankly can be somewhat of a difficult situation. Now you might be wondering, what on earth does this have to do with us this morning? Has everything to do with us this morning? Because just like us, when we are driving, it is crucial for us to have a road map for our church. It is crucial for us to know where God is calling us as a church. If we as a church travel without a road map, If we don't have a plan for where we are going, we're going to end up far from where God wants us and far from where God means for us to be. If we're not earnestly seeking God's calling, if we are not earnestly trying to obey where he is leading us as a church, we're going to waste time. We're going to get frustrated and we're going to fall short of the impact that God is calling us to make here at Crosswinds Church in Spencer and at Crosswinds Church in Spirit Lake. You see, this morning, we're going to take some time and just look at that. And if we're honest, if you're honest with yourself, maybe you're going to say, I I didn't even realize our church had a roadmap. That could be a critique of me. It could be a critique of our leadership. You might be saying, well, well, I, I didn't realize we had a plan to move forward. I didn't realize that there was a plan for us when it came to facilities. Are we just going to stay a portable church forever? Or is there more that God is calling us to do than just gathering here on Sunday mornings for services, or can we make a bigger impact in our community? Now, others of you might be saying, well, I didn't really realize we had a roadmap, but at the same time, if I'm being honest, I didn't really care either. After all, I'm not the one who is driving we're, it seems like we might be all on this bus or on this plane, and, and uh, as long as I'm not driving, I'm not the one who's in charge. I'm going to trust those who are in charge, and I'm just going to sit back and just enjoy where we are going. But that's, I think that's a mistaken view of what the church is like. It's too passive. It's too passive to think that we are just on an airplane and just trusting the pilot. We're just on a, on a bus and just trusting one or two people to make the decisions. I think a better view of what our church is like is, is a bunch of people who are out canoeing. Uh, several years ago, I was up uh, camping and canoeing in the Boundary Waters. And a wonderful time. I went with about seven or eight other uh, people. And uh, because there were seven or eight of us, we had seven or eight different ideas of where we should go. I wanted to go left. Another person wanted to go right. Someone else wanted to turn around. Another person wanted to keep going straight. And there were several days where we didn't really accomplish much because we couldn't agree on where we were going. We didn't have a map. We didn't have a plan for where we were called to go. And that's the danger facing us as a church. The danger facing us as a church is that if we don't know where we're going, we don't know where god is calling us as a church we can end up going nowhere now we say all of this with great humility recognizing that god changes plans god is the one who controls our future and at the same time as gail shared with us as we commit our plans to god we trust that as we are trying to follow his calling we're going to honor him. So let's, let's just uh, get it out there. Where is Crosswinds Church heading? Where is God calling us to be? Where is it that we firmly believe that God has positioned us to make an impact, not just in our community, but also in our region, in a way that other churches might not be able to do? Simply this. I want to just sum it up li- like this. So uh, Pay attention. These are the, the most important words that you'll hear uh, this morning, most likely. We want to be, Crosswinds Church wants to be a healthy church planting churches. We want to be a healthy church planting churches. Now, let me explain that here in a second. God positions, God gifts each and every local church with a specific skill set, a specific set of people to do something for the kingdom of God that other churches may not be able to do as effectively. Here in Spencer, one church just knocks it out of the park with their connection to the Dream Center. Other churches here in Spencer have been uniquely positioned, uniquely gifted by God to serve those who come from a more liturgical, a more traditional context and background. We could go on and on and look at the different ways God has gifted, has positioned different churches to do something for the kingdom of God that other churches might not be able to do effectively. For us, here at Crosswinds, we believe what God has called us to do, what God has uniquely gifted us to do, is to be a healthy church planting healthy churches in fact that's what we want to be that's who we want to be so much that's where we feel god is calling us to go so much that we've actually committed it to our vision statement you're going to hear this more and more over the coming weeks our vision statement is simply this crosswinds church is committed to the multiplication of gospel-centered churches for the good of our region and for our world let me say that again Crosswinds Church is committed to the multiplication of gospel-centered churches for the good of our region and for the good of our world. Incidentally, this follows right in line with our denomination's goal or mission or vision to plant healthy churches throughout the United States. Now let's unpack this mission just briefly. If there's one thing that we here at Crosswinds want to see in our region more than anything else, it is gospel-centered Churches. We want our region to be saturated with gospel centered churches because we believe that gospel centered churches, with every fiber of our being, we believe that life transformation and community transformation are found in the gospel. That's why we're committed to gospel centered churches. We want to see our region filled with these churches that are unapologetically and winsomely pointing people to Jesus as the only hope for their salvation. We want to see our region filled with churches, so committed to the Bible that it informs the ways that people interact with their spouses, that it transforms the ways that they raise their children. It focuses the ways they spend their Monday through Friday at their place of vocation. The gospel is committed, excuse me, we are committed to the gospel as the hope Not just for every single person in here. Not just for every single person in Spencer and in our region. But for the communities as a whole and our world as well. Now we believe that all because of one simple thing. We believe that the local church is the hope of the world. We believe that the local church is the hope of the world. When Jesus was on earth, he didn't tell his disciples that government... Or that nonprofit organizations or capitalism or education, any of these things, that they were the hope of the world, but instead said it was the local church. It is Crosswinds Church here in Spencer, it is Crosswinds Church up in Spirit Lake, it is Hope Church down the street, it is Day Spring Church on the northwest side of town, it's Faith Lutheran on the north side of town. It is the local church that has been entrusted with the message of salvation, the message of the gospel and is therefore the hope of the world. It is the local church that has the capacity to transform communities in a way that even the best Chamber of Commerce cannot. It it is the local church that has the capacity or the ability to save broken families and marriages in a way that even the best marriage and family counselors cannot. It is the local church that has the best opportunity to raise up our future leaders even in a way that is better than our great schools here in spencer can the local church is the hope of the world because god has no plan b to point people to the hope of glory jesus christ We believe that the local church is the hope of the world, and so we want to see more and more local churches pointing people to Jesus. Now, we're going to dive in uh, into what this calling, this calling to be a healthy church, planting healthy churches. We're going to dive into what that looks like here in a moment, but I just want to take a second and look at what it means for a church to get this right. We always know what it looks like when a church gets this wrong. When a church isn't focused on the gospel, when the church is more focused on themselves than sharing the gospel, planning the gospel uh, in churches in other regions. So what does it look like for a church to get this right? If we turn to the Bible, we see a number of churches that are healthy, but I think there's one church in particular that just nails this on the head. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Acts chapter 11. We're going to spend some time in Acts chapter eleven and in chapter thirteen. This church we're going to look at here in the book of Acts. I don't want to overstate the importance of this church, but it is a very important church. It was a church that lived sacrificially. It was so gospel-centered in its ministry that you could argue, very very persuasively, you could argue that if this church did not exist, Christianity today would still be a small cult, a small sect in Judaism, but because this one church embraced God's calling, because they embraced God's calling for them specifically, they changed their community. They changed their region, and they ultimately changed the world. I mentioned we're going to be in Acts 11 and Acts 13, uh, which if you've uh, glanced at it, you, you already know what church it is. It is the church of Antioch. Now, many of us have heard uh, of the church of Antioch. It, it's a popular trivia question of where were Christians first called Christians. It's the church in Antioch where that took place. Thousands of years ago, right when the church was just getting started, the church was primarily centered in Jerusalem. Jesus one of the last things he said when he was on earth is he charged his disciples He says I want you to share the gospel in jerusalem I want you to share the gospel in judea and then in samaria And then eventually I want you to share it to the ends of the earth But surprisingly After jesus left his disciples primarily just stayed in jerusalem There was so much work to be done in jerusalem and things were so successful in jerusalem that they continued to ignore This calling to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth this is the, the, the church in Jerusalem, the most important church at the start of the church. And yet God intervenes. God intervenes and the, the church begins to spread slowly into Judea, into the surrounding Jewish countryside. But then it takes a major step forward in the book of Acts when it jumps from the area of Judea into the area of Samaria. Samaritans began to become Christians might be familiar with samaritans they were known as religious heretics they hated the jews the jews hated them and yet the fact that they responded to the gospel is so significant because it shows us that the gospel is not just meant for the jewish people but is meant for every person regardless of their religious background regardless of their ethnic background And so the gospel spreads and flourishes in the area of Samaria. And then years later, the gospel makes its way 300 miles north of Jerusalem to this city, Antioch. Antioch, one of the most important cities uh, in the Roman Empire. In the first century, it was the third largest city in the world. It was primarily a Gentile city, but it had a significant Jewish population. When the gospel reaches into Antioch, it's this Jewish community that responds with zeal they respond with this passion because of the news of the gospel and and christianity just explodes in antioch the the jewish leaders the church leaders excuse me in jerusalem are so excited about how god is at work in antioch they actually send a pastor up to take care of this new church and this pastor's name was barnabas we're familiar with barnabas from the book of acts Barnabas was originally called up to Antioch in order to strengthen the church. If you have a Bible, we're going to pick up right there. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 23, when Barnabas arrives in Antioch. Hear these words. When he, Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, many of us are familiar with Barnabas' from other passages in scripture where he travels with paul as a missionary but here we see the first detailed description of what he was like and i think it gives us a great deal of insight not only to what he is like but also into what the church in antioch was like because they follow in the footsteps of their first pastor notice how this text describes barnabas First, it says that Barnabas is a man who rejoiced at the work of God. Barnabas is so filled with joy that God is at work in Antioch. It's not just the Jews who are coming to faith here. It is also in the Gentile community. Barnabas thanks God with every fiber of his being that God's grace is being shown to this large, important city on the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. He rejoiced at the work of God. Notice also this text tells us that he encourages the people with faithfulness. Now, Barnabas is excited that God is at work in Antioch, but he doesn't just stop there. He takes that zeal. He takes that passion for God and to serve God. And he says, you know what What we're going to do? We're going to harness this. We're going to tie it with gospel faithfulness. He takes this heart to serve God and he ties it to the knowledge of how to serve God. This is a rare combination that you don't see too often in the church. A church that is on fire for God. That has a heart to do whatever God calls them to do. And at the same time has the knowledge of how to faithfully serve him. Today churches seem to think it is either or. There are churches out there that are so focused on emotion that they forget or neglect how to faithfully serve God. There are some churches that are so focused on how to faithfully serve God that they are just a shell of what they once were in their passion for God. The church in Antioch, under Barnabas's leadership, says that this doesn't have to be an either or. We're going to be faithful to the gospel, and we're going to continue to rejoice over how God is at work in our community. This text also tells us Barnabas is a good man. He's a man who practices what he preaches. He doesn't just call people to live in a certain way, to be faithful to the gospel. He also lives that way himself. Barnabas is the type of man that you want to spend time with because his heart is sincere and it is is passionate for God. Text also tells us he is full of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas encounters a passion for God, and he has that same passion for God living within him as well. He is a man of the Spirit. Text tells us that he was a man of faith. Not only is he faithful or teaching people how to be faithful, but he trusts and believes that God is able to do every single thing that he has promised in his word and every single thing that he has promised in his son. He trusts God wholeheartedly in every situation. And finally, the text tells us that Barnabas was a selfless man. He was selfless. Now, That doesn't directly say that, but it is interesting that he, he goes to Antioch. He, he shares the gospel. He tells people how to live faithful in, in order to follow God faithfully. And then he gets to a point as the church is growing, he realizes this is too much for me. I, I can't bring these people to where they need to go, but I do know who can. And so he goes to Tarsus, just a, a hundred miles away or so, and grabs Paul and brings Paul back to Antioch. And the t- two of them together teach the Christians there how to be faithful, how to have this passion for God. And they do so for a year. He's a man who is selfless. He isn't focused just on his, uh, his ego, on how to build the church big enough that he can uh, be famous in the early church. He's so focused on the gospel, so focused on more people becoming Christians that he doesn't care if it's him who gets the credit or someone else. He goes and finds Paul. Barnabas is a shining example of faithful ministry in the church of Antioch. He lives a life that is completely, utterly generous. He's not just generous with his... We, we tend to think of generous as focusing primarily on finances. He is generous in every aspect of his life because God has been generous to him. He lives wholeheartedly with a passion for God that is infectious. He's not just content going through the motions with the church in Antioch, but he wants to do whatever is necessary to see them take that next step Of faith, to live more passionately about God each and every day. And I want us to just take a step back. Is that our calling as well? Is that our calling as well? To be a church that is passionate for God. Every single Sunday, whether you recognize it or not, those words are printed in your bulletin. It's a part of our mission statement. Or a church that desires to be, uh, to cultivate within each and every one of us passion for God, compassion for our neighbor. We want to reach our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And Barnabas, by extension, the church in Antioch, they, they teach us what it means to be passionate. They teach us what it means to have this passion for God, to have more than just head knowledge, to be more than just a church that has its finger in the text, which is a great, essential, crucial thing. They teach us how to be a church that has its heart on fire with a passion for God. It's a church that is alive to God's goodness, a church that is alive to God's grace and God's mercy for us. These verses make it clear that that fire isn't really actually possible without it first being rooted in Scripture. The foundation of Scripture is the only place where clean, holy, pure fire, passion for God can come from. A church that is committed to the word of God will have its hearts set ablaze by those words. This is the first and foremost and most important thing when we talk about being a healthy church. It is this, to be committed to the word of God and to be passionate about the God of the word. And that's what we see in Antioch. That's that passion that is the foundation for all that they do. And honestly, it should be the foundation for all that we do as well. And our church does a really good job of being centered on the word. That's not prideful. That's just saying that's kind of uh, who we are, our MO as a church. All the way down from our nursery, our children's programs, our youth group here on Sunday mornings, we try to make sure everything is centered on the word of God. The question that we have to ask ourselves is that we, are we passionate about more than just being faithful to scripture are we passionate about god himself are we a church that is growing more and more each and every week to love jesus more a true passion for god is central to the health of any church but it's not just focused on health it's also the foundation for other things as well this type of passion this generous living isn't just vertically directed toward god It's also directed horizontally toward others. Let's keep reading in chapter 11. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one of them to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This church in Antioch, they, they see a need and they expend themselves for those who are in need. They gather up as much money, as, as much food as they can find, and they send it to Jerusalem to take care of this famine that's facing their brothers and sisters. The church in Antioch is a church of compassion. They are compassionate with their finances, they are sacrificial with their finances. They live generously with what God has given them. I remember our mission statement. We said passion for God, compassion for neighbor. We're not just supposed to be passionate about God. Like the church in Antioch, we are called to be compassionate toward our neighbors. And for us to be compassionate toward our neighbors, sometimes that means being compassionate toward distant neighbors like Antioch and Jerusalem here. But most often, it means being compassionate toward those who are living right next to us our neighbors here in Spencer. Now, I have no doubt that this compassion that we see here in Acts chapter 11, this compassion for Jerusalem, it is just a, a, a small glimpse of compassion that was shown each and every day by the church in Antioch. Most days, this compassion was expressed toward their community. They lived for the good of their community. Here at Crosswinds, we desire to be a church that shows compassion on our community. The way we really want to describe that is we want to see our communities flourish. We want to see our communities in a better place because God placed us here than they were before God placed us here. We want to seek the good of our communities, not just to meet crises like described here in Acts chapter 11, but to seek the flourishing of our community economically to seek the flourishing of our community politically, to seek the flourishing of our schools, the flourishing of our businesses, the families in our community. That's what it means for us to be a church that is compassionate toward our neighbors. We see it first in the church in Antioch. Again, if, if we're being honest, I think that we might need to do a heart check in this area. As Crosswinds Church... We say passion for God, we say compassion for neighbor, but are we actually living this way? I will tell you, first and foremost, with my own life, it is so easy to get consumed with church things, good things, that I can neglect compassion toward my neighbor. It is so easy to lose sight of this compassion Are we as a church actively seeking ways to be a blessing for our community? Are we doing more than just participating in Love, Spencer, once a year? The occasional outreach events. Are we actually seeking the welfare of our community? If we are not careful, we can lose our focus. Our focus can drift. And I don't want to be too harsh on us. Our focus can drift. We have great intentions, but our focus can drift if we are not careful. Let us be a church that is compassionate toward those who are around us. Here in a, in a few months, we're actually going to spend some time looking at what this means. I have mentioned a couple times this phrase, generous, uh, living generously or, or generous living. And we're going to spend a couple weeks right before Easter just looking at what it means for us to be generous. To live lives of generosity, not with our finances necessarily, although that is included. But to live lives of generosity with our time and with our heart toward those who are around us. The church in Antioch is exactly that. They are a church that is passionate about God. They live generously toward God, and they live generously toward others in their community. But this passion, this compassion, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop just with a vertical focus on God and just on their community. God takes that passion God takes that compassion, and, and as time goes on, he, he allows that compassion and that passion to blossom into church planting, and to be a church that plants churches in their region, and eventually to the ends of the earth. Let's jump into Acts chapter 13, first few verses here. Now, there, was, uh, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaeon, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and sent them off. That's the beginning of Acts thirteen. The rest of the next two chapters spend time looking at this calling to go and to plant churches in their region. You see, this church in Antioch was so controlled by their love for God. They were so controlled by their passion for God that they were unwilling to let that love stay with themselves. And so God uses that passion, God uses that, their gifts to start churches in their region and to start churches across cultural boundaries. Now first and foremost, notice God uses their passion. The beginning of this verse is just tell us that they are passionate about God. They're so in tune with God's spirit that this leads to them planting churches. To share the gospel in places that have not yet been reached with the gospel. If they did not have passion. If they did not have this zeal. Plain and simple, they wouldn't have been listening to God. And they would not have gone and followed God's calling. But God uses their passion. God uses their desire and sends Paul and Barnabas as church planners and later as missionaries. And God also uses their gifts. God uses the gifts of the church in Antioch to plant churches. And and yeah, that includes finances. But more importantly, it uses the gifts of the people who are in the church we look at the rest of chapter 13, the first place that Paul and Barnabas go after they leave Antiochus to Cyprus. After they go to Cyprus, then they go to Eastern Asia Minor and plant churches there. Now, if you are up to date on your Bible trivia, where is Barnabas from? Barnabas is from Cyprus. Where is Paul from? He's from Eastern Asia Minor. God uses the gifts the people who are in the church, to reach their region, the specific unique gifting that this church has, that other churches surrounding them do not have, to reach their region with the gospel. The first missionary journey that we see in Acts 13 and Acts 14 is relatively local to Antioch. It's only done within a couple hundred miles of Antioch in cultures that are extremely similar to the church in Antioch. Later on, they send out Paul on a second missionary journey. They send out Paul on a third missionary journey. And in those journeys, they cross cultural boundaries. They serve as missionaries. I don't want to exaggerate the church in Antioch, but it would be safe to say that without Antioch, without this church that was passionate for the gospel, without their obedience to god's calling the first century church and the bible would be a shell of what it is today the faithfulness of the church in antioch is indirectly responsible for the book of first corinthians second corinthians the book of galatians ephesians philippians colossians first thessalonians second thessalonians first timothy second timothy titus philemon hebrews and revelation The Bible, the church, would be a shell of what it is today if it were not for this church and their faithfulness. This is a church that is faithful, and it is a church that is passionate. They are passionate about God. They are obedient to God's calling because of that, they made an impact beyond the walls of their church in their community, in their region, and eventually they changed the world. And that's the reason why we here at Crosswinds feel that like God is calling us to this radical, sacrificial vision to plant gospel-centered churches in our region. Because God uses small churches with big dreams for eternal impact. About five years ago, there's a gathering, not too unlike ours here this morning. It took place in Spirit Lake. That church, Faith Church of Spirit Lake, took their church's mission seriously. Their church's mission was to not just reach their community, but to reach their region with the gospel. They took that mission so seriously, they decided to do something that was absolutely crazy in small-town Iowa. They decided to plant a second campus in a neighboring community. They did so not because there weren't any Christians in that community, but because they felt as though God had uniquely positioned them as a church to contribute to the kingdom of God in a way that worked alongside those other churches. Not because they thought they had all the answers, Not because they were trying to promote their own brand, but because they recognized that the strategy of multi-site was far less important than the importance of getting a gospel-centered, healthy, self-sustaining church up and running as quickly as possible. And then that church did something even crazier. They hired a 24-year-old with no experience to pastor that church. And some of you are are instantly glad we're a multi-site church now uh, because I'm not the only one calling the shots. But it doesn't end there. Rather than pushing their brand as Faith Church, a brand that they had developed for 60-plus years of ministry, into a community that already had two faith churches. Rather than trying to push this brand that would hinder and limit the growth of their campus plant, but would allow them to continue ministering uh, along the the lines of, of the way they've already always done it. Our Spirit Lake Campus was started in the 1940s and in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. For all those years, it was known as Faith Church. But they decided to sacrifice their identity for the sake of another community, for the sake of another group of Christians and Crosswinds Church was formed. Shortly after our congregation started, When I moved here, there were four families. Now there are over 50 who call us their church home. There were about 15 of us when we started, and about 150 of us now consider us their church home. God has been at work in our church. He continues to be at work in our church. And I just want to say to us this morning God is not done. He's only just begun. God is not done. He's only just begun. Within the six counties surrounding our two campuses, surrounding our two locations, there are approximately 70,000 people who live here. Of those 70,000 people, only about 15,000 of them are Bible-believing Christians. That means that there are somewhere between 60, or fifty-five and 60,000 coworkers, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, employees, grocery store clerks, empl- uh, teachers, coaches, business owners, farmers, neighbors who do not know Jesus in our region. Here's the reality for us this morning. We cannot reach them all. We cannot reach them all. We have some people who attend our church who drive from Emmitsburg or Ayrshire or Royal or Everly. Our Spirit Lake campus has people who drive from Ocheedon or Jackson or Lakefield or Esterville. Here's the reality, though. If you're trying to share the gospel or invite someone to church who lives in Emmitsburg and they don't want anything to do with the gospel, they're probably not going to drive a half an hour to go check the church out. Those of you who make the drive, you're the exception rather than the rule, and we're so thankful for that exception. We cannot reach them all. But we can plant and work alongside churches that can. More specifically, we can work alongside campuses that can pool their resources in order to go further, faster than we could ever go on our own. That's what we're focused on here this morning, this vision of multiplying gospel-centered churches in our communities. That's what we're all about at Crosswinds. That's what we want to be. About here at Crosswinds, and it might sound that we're just so focused on other communities that we're not focusing on our own. But here's the reality: when we are focused on being a sending church, it increases our own spiritual faithfulness and health as well. Because there's nothing healthier than being a sending church. Being a sending church takes passion. You can't you can't succeed at this long if you don't have this sort of passion. If it's not fueled by a passion for God and for the gospel. Being a sending church takes compassion because without compassion, there is no mission. Being God-focused and others-focused for the sake of Christ is the central component to church health and to individual spiritual vitality for us as a church. And so that's why we feel God is calling us to this vision, to be a church that is a healthy church, that plants other healthy churches. It's not just about other communities. It's certainly no less than that. But it's also about us as well. And so as we close, I just want to share a few things that we are asking you to do. We as a church are asking you to do. First, we want want you to be honest with yourself. Just be honest with yourself. If you hear this vision, if you hear where we believe God is calling us to go as a church, as you hear this mission that we feel like God has given us, can you get behind it? Can you get behind it? Can you say, I'm committed to that? That's who God is calling my church to be, and I couldn't be more proud of the fact that I'm a part of that church. Take some time. Ask yourself that question. If the answer is yes, then we encourage you to join the team. Becoming a member here at Crosswinds is, is more than just signing a piece of paper, or going through a ritual. It's a statement to your church, and it's a statement to your community that you are behind the mission of this church. That you are committed to seeing this vision succeed in our community, and if God calls us wherever God calls us, in our region and across the globe. Contribute to your team you're on the sidelines, today is the perfect day to start volunteering. Today is the perfect day to take a step and start serving in Sunday school as a teacher or as an assistant to serve in the nursery or in the worship team or in hospitality or on the setup and tear down team. And if, if you feel God is calling you to take that step, just uh, those clipboards at the end of your aisle, just let us know or, or, or uh, come talk to me after the service. If you are already serving, you're already contributing to the team as a volunteer, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Seriously, our church is able to function because of you. If it were not for you, I'd right now be in my front yard preaching to anyone who would be willing to listen. We have a large squirrel population in our neighborhood. That's about all. Thank you. Because of you, our church exists and is flourishing. And finally, I mentioned at the beginning here, uh, we're we're talking about how God is calling us to be prepared as a church, to be more proactive rather than reactive. Over the next coming weeks, you're going to hear us talk about these two two phrases, uh, our legacy foundation and our vision fund. We just want God to be uh, able to use us in a way that he might not be able to do if we weren't as prepared. These funds are tools that we believe that God is giving us that will position our church for the spread of the gospel here in Spencer, for the spread of the gospel up in Spirit Lake, and into any other community that God calls us to serve. In your bulletin, you'll notice that there is a little card insert there. I'd love for you to grab that and it's an invitation to four different meetings that are coming up. We would love for every single person to come here or who attends here to attend one of those Meetings. You can hear about how God is allowing us or giving us the opportunity as a church to transition from being reactive to being proactive, and so that we can more effectively fulfill the mission that God has given us as a church. Just a small example of this. I, I focused a lot this morning on our calling, our big vision to be a church that plants churches. But the reality is, I, I mentioned that this is more than just about going to other communities, it's about our situation as well. One small example. We have a lease with the school district that expires June 30th of next year. There's a a great chance they will renew the lease, but there's also a chance that they will not. We as a church, we want to be in a position, we want to be in a situation where we can be prepared whatever comes our way. Having this fund in place is going to allow us to move quickly Wherever God calls us to go and whatever God calls us to do. Now, hear me clearly. We don't necessarily want to go anywhere. There are no plans to go anywhere. We just want to be prepared if that is where God is calling us. Whether he calls through supernatural or through ordinary means, we want to have the capacity to listen and obey when God calls. The same thing is true for other communities. If God opens a door into a new community, we want to have the capacity to follow as quickly as possible. We want to obey him as quickly as we possibly can. In the same way, if God opens a door or positions us as a church to serve our community in such a way that is a great blessing, we want to be able to respond and take advantage of that opportunity to serve God faithfully. We want to be like the church of Antioch. We want to be a church that is passionate for God, that is compassionate towards our neighbor, that is in the business of reaching our region and is making an impact for our world. And so we'd invite you to join us for one of those meetings that are coming up soon. We're going to show a video here in a, a few minutes uh, that you can learn more about these funds. As we close, just take a, take a second and think about what it would look like for us to be a modern-day Antioch. What would it look like for our church to be a modern-day Antioch? What if everything we did as a church was motivated out of a deep amazement for God? What if everything that we did was, was based out of this never-satisfied desire to know God more and to press into him more and more? What if we, as a church, were so concerned with the welfare of those who are around us that we gave and we served at great sacrifice and cost to ourselves for the good of others? What if we didn't want to keep this gospel to ourselves that wanted to share it, not just in our community, but in other communities where we have been positioned to serve in a way that honors God? What if we, as a church, can make a global impact in a way that we, could even, we couldn't even dream of God using us as a church. God uses small churches with big dreams for eternal impact. Might God be doing that with us? Might that be what God is calling us to do? Let's be a sacrificial church here in Spencer, in our region, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, as I look at the the task that I, I firmly believe you've given us as a church, I see how daunting it is. I just confess there's no way for it to happen without you. As we've been going through the book of Genesis over the past several months, we've just been reminded time and time again that you are in the business of taking things that look impossible and bringing them to fruition as a way for you to receive glory. And and that's our prayer this morning. That you would do the exact same thing with our church that you would help us be a church that honors you, that is healthy, that is gospel-centered, that is passionate for you, that is seeking the good and the welfare of our community, that it would flourish greatly. And as you call, Lord, that we would reach our region and we would make an impact in the church across the globe. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.